So today's reading is from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came in, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, but not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Happy uh, Easter morning, Grace City Church, Ottawa. It's great to be with you this morning on this Easter Sunday. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, the, res the resurrection of Jesus Christ and some evidence for the resurrection this morning. Uh, I was interested recently, I, I read there's a famous humanist psychologist called Rollo May, who wrote a book called My Quest for Beauty. And in it, he talks about how he, on Christmas Eve, he stumbles across an all-night celebration at a Greek uh, Orthodox church. And he kind of goes in, and at a point in the service, the priest declares Christos Anesti, which is Christ is risen. And the congregation speaks back, Christ is risen indeed. And he talks about a moment, he says it in this book, uh, My Quest for Beauty, he says, I was seized then by a moment of spiritual reality. What would it mean for our world if he had truly risen? And the English evangelist J. John kind of answers that question. He says, if the resurrection of Jesus did happen, then the implications are breathtaking. Everything the Bible says about Jesus is true. God can be known as Father. Forgiveness is possible. Heaven is attainable. And death is just a short sleep before eternal joy. Whether or not the resurrection happened isn't just a fact of history. It's a fact that changes our future. And in this series over the next six weeks, I want to look at some of the resurrection appearances of Jesus to people before he ascended to heaven. 
And we're going to look at six of those. And we're going to start today uh, in, in John chapter 20 with Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene uh, in the garden outside the tomb where he was laid to rest. And uh, I've called this talk today Evidence for the Resurrection. How can we be sure? And there's three key facts that I want us to look at because the resurrection is so central to the Christian faith. And the first thing I want to see from the passage we've, we've had read to us this morning from John 20, we can see from the first eight verses that Jesus is absent from the tomb. So uh, first evidence for the resurrection is where Jesus is absent from the tomb. He's not in the tomb. And the, the, the John describes in some detail, in a very authentic way, what actually happened on that first Easter Sunday morning. And the first thing he tells us is, is the story of Mary Magdalene and how she becomes the first to witness the empty tomb. And it can seem very shocking to us today, but in first century Jewish society, uh, women were not considered reliable witnesses. They wouldn't have been allowed to give testimony in a court. They wouldn't, their, their, their evidence wouldn't have been admissible. So for the, for the gospel writers, uh, if they were making this up, they just wouldn't have put this in because it would have, it would have kind of brought discredit on the story before we'd even started. So this kind of adds authenticity to what's being said here because you wouldn't just make it up this way. When they arrived, not only was the tomb empty, but the stone had been, that closed the tomb had been rolled away. So the first question is, well, who moved it and, and where, how did that happen? How did the stone get rolled away? Because we can see from other accounts that there were guards over the tomb. And there are some theories about this. I just want to look at this for a moment today because we, can, we live in an age where we can, we can get threatened. We can feel threatened by people that seem cleverer than us and certain. And what, you don't want to believe this stuff, do you? And it's just important for us as Christians to take a step back and say, well, is this reasonable or not, this, this resurrection? Is it reasonable? Is it crazy? The first theory that's put around is that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He was kind of unconscious. And he was the one, he got himself out the tomb and moved the stone. That is definitely a theory that is out there. There are some real problems with that in that the, the crucifixion was quite a regular occurrence at this time in the Roman Empire and there were squads of Roman soldiers that um, were expert at this and expert at making sure people really were dead. And so they would have really had to mess up their jobs here. Jesus had been on the cross for six hours. He'd been pierced in the side. Uh, this is highly unlikely that the Roman soldiers would have made a mistake. Second thing, how did he, get, how did he roll this, this one-ton stone away and then he, he just got out and then disappeared and never showed himself again? It'd be very odd, very strange things to do. It's highly unlikely that these Roman soldiers who were trained, who are expert, who would have got in a lot of trouble for this, would have made a mistake of this magnitude. We then look in the passage uh, that, that Mary and the other disciples had no expectation of the resurrection. 
despite what Jesus had been saying to them over some time that actually he'd come and he was going to suffer and die and be raised again, we can see even from this passage, they just didn't understand it. They had no expectation. Uh, It it says in verse 9, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Because apart, so the second theory is not that Jesus somehow isn't dead and gets himself out. Another theory is that the disciples made this up. They came up with a plan to steal Jesus' body and hide it. A number of problems with this. How did they get past the guards? Second thing is, no one ever admitted it. So in all the time that elapsed, in all the writings that I've been able to see, there's never one single bit of evidence that any of the disciples said, oh, we made it up. Or someone says, well, this disciple told me it wasn't real. They got got him out and hit him. No evidence of that whatsoever. And thirdly, are we really supposed to believe that these people were so changed for a lie So they knew Jesus was dead, they tricked everyone, and yet they all end up dying for following Jesus. Are we really supposed to believe that that the world has been changed through what is essentially a lie and a trick? But more than that, these people who are actually there, they, they go on to die for Jesus, to suffer for something they knew was a lie. Look at look at Peter. Peter is someone we know who who denies Jesus. Before Jesus goes to the cross, we we read about it, the the cockerel crows three times. And he realises what Jesus has said, you're going to deny me. And and Peter, he's been asked, you you know this Jesus, don't you? And he goes, no, no, he's not with me. No, I, I think you've got the wrong person. And then we see Peter in Acts chapter 3, standing up in front of thousands, in front of a hostile crowd, going... Uh, you, you people, you've killed this Jesus. God has raised him from the dead. I've seen him with my own eyes. Now repent and turn and follow him. This is from Peter, no, I don't know Jesus, to standing in front of crowds saying, you people, you've killed him. God's raised him. I've seen him. Now repent. Do that for a lie? You do that for something you know is not true? Well, we went and hid the body. It's just made it up. It's not credible. It can't be true. It doesn't make any sense. See, they, they, look, they see in this passage, they think that the authorities have stolen the body. Mary Magdalene says, they've taken, they've taken my master. They've taken the Lord. Where have they taken him? She means the authorities. <coughs> they've come and taken the body. My question is, I mean, that to me is the, is the only possible answer, but there's a huge problem with that. Why didn't they produce the body? They suddenly see these disciples turning Jerusalem upside down. Jesus has appeared. He's alive. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. People are getting saved and converted to Christianity All they've got to do is produce the body of Jesus and it's seen as a lie. And that never happens. They don't do it. My my thesis to you is they can't do it because they never took the body. It makes no sense. Jesus didn't die. The authorities took the body. The disciples made it up themselves. 
the last thing is this. People say, well, grave robbers took Jesus. They got in and robbed the grave. The strange thing is, though, that the, the grave clothes are still there. <clears throat> if there were grave robbers, I would say the clothes would have gone and the body would have stayed because the most valuable thing in there were the grave clothes. It's very, very strange. And then there's this last bit of evidence about the folded up headcloth in verse 7. It's kind of a Jewish custom. That if you have a meal with a friend and you enjoy it, you crumple up your napkin, you put it down, it means this was great and coming back. If you didn't enjoy it and you're not coming back, you fold up the napkin and put it down. I don't know, I just wonder if this is Jesus takes off the napkin off his head. <sighs> Folds it up, I'm not coming back to this place. Death can't hold me. I'm never going to be in this tomb again. He says in verse 8, the Apostle John saw and believed. <clears throat> the first evidence for the resurrection is that Jesus is absent from the tomb. I can't come up with a better uh, answer than he really rose from the dead. Nothing else, if you look at the facts, nothing else makes sense. The second thing is, it's not just that he's absent from the tomb, he's then present with people. He's appearing, there's eyewitnesses. In John 20, we read that he'll look at it in a moment. He appears to Mary Magdalene in the garden. Over the next 40 days, Jesus appears to over 500 others on 11 different occasions. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth around 20 years later. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, he says, This Jesus was buried, he was raised on the third day. <clears throat> he then appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and lastly he's appeared to me. What he's saying is, he's appeared to 500 and most of them are alive. You can go and check it out if you don't believe me. This is 20 years later. I'm not making this up. You don't trust me. Go and speak to these people. They're still alive, most of them. They saw him. If that wasn't true, he wouldn't be saying that. Christ died, Christ rose, and there are witnesses alive today as I'm writing this letter to the church in Corinth. You can find the witnesses. Go and check it out. Jesus is absent from the tomb. He's appearing to people. There's a man called Lee Strobel who, who wrote a book, a famous apologist in America, The Case for Christ. He, he's researched this. He's studied it. I'm going to read a quote out from him that I think is helpful for us today on Easter Sunday. It says this. He says, It was the worst news <clears throat> I could get as an atheist. My agnostic wife had decided to become a Christian. Over the following months, I was intrigued by the positive changes in her character and values. Finally, I decided to take my journalism and legal training. I was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune and systematically investigate whether there was any credibility to Christianity. Maybe I figured out I could extricate her from this cult. I quickly determined that the alleged resurrection of Jesus was the key. Anyone can claim to be divine, but if Jesus backed up his claim by returning from the dead, then that was awfully good evidence he was actually telling the truth. For nearly two years, I explored the minutiae of the historical data on whether Easter was myth or reality. 
I didn't merely accept the New Testament at face value. I was determined only to consider facts that were well supported historically. As my investigation unfolded, my atheism began to buckle. One by one, my objections evaporated. I read books by skeptics, but one by one, their counter arguments crumbled under the weight of the historical data. And in the end, after I had thoroughly investigated the matter, I reached an unexpected conclusion. It would actually take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a follower of Jesus. So this is the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. Finishes with this, and that is why I am now celebrating my 30th Easter as a Christian. Not because of wishful thinking or the fear of death or the need for a psychological crutch, but because of the facts. Evidence for the resurrection. He's absent from the tomb. He's appearing to people. Let me finish with this. He's changing people's lives today. We see it. Once we get through verse 10, we see Mary having a conversation with Jesus. She's in the grip of despair. It says she's weeping. She's weeping. She's in the grip of despair. She's desperate. Jesus comes today to lift people out of the grip of despair. For many people, this last year has been full of despair. It's been tough. Jesus comes to people today to, 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 to replace despair with hope. Statistics show that despair is growing. There are, the, the mental illness, people struggling with depression is growing. The good news about Easter Sunday, and we can see it from this encounter with Mary Magdalene, that the love of Jesus and Jesus appearing overcomes all despair. You see, if we look at the passage, Jesus, Mary first mistakes Jesus for the gardener. It's quite an amusing encounter. She, the, the others have left. She's on her own. The others are left. Mary's weeping outside the tomb. And as she's weeping, she stops to look into the tomb and she sees angels there. And she, she asks them, uh, they, they say to her, why are you weeping? And she says, well, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've taken him. She's in the grip of despair. And then she turns around and it says she saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus and Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Jesus knows what's going on, but he's asking her. And then she says, she's supposing him to be the gardener. Mary thinks this person she's speaking to is the gardener. And she says, have you taken him? Have you taken Jesus? Where have you taken him to? Tell me. And then Jesus says something that changes everything. Jesus says to her, Mary. 
And she turns to him and says in Aramaic, Rabbani, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus calls out her name. says, Mary. And it changes everything for her. You see, Jesus knows your name. It's what it says in the Bible. And the Bible is full of names. We shouldn't be surprised by this because in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You see, a lot of what I've talked about this morning is I'm saying to you, Christianity is a reasonable faith. You don't have to throw your brain out to be a Christian. But you don't become a Christian just through your brain. <laughs> okay? It's a reasonable faith. You, you can investigate it and it will stand up. But it's also an experiential faith. It's, it's something we can experience God and God knows us as a loving heavenly father and we get to experience God. It's, it's, it's knowledge-based. It's fact-based. It's, it's historical data-based and it's experiential. This is what the Bible says. God reaches out for a relationship with us. He calls us by name. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. He calls his own sheep by name. God knows names. It's amazing in, in a universe the size of, that we are, and the more we understand it, the more we look out with our telescopes, we, we, we haven't even got to the end of it, and we're on this tiny planet spinning every day, eight billion people, and yet the God of the Bible calls you by name. I know a day in my life when I sense God calling me by name. I know you. <laughs> I'm calling you. Will you come to me? So it changes everything when someone calls out our name. When someone knows our name. Say so today, let's not forget this. Let's, let's run after this today. Jesus knows your name. And we know the voice of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. It's interesting. When the shepherds uh, at night, often when they would, they would kind of get together with their flocks of sheep, and what they would do to keep them safe, they wouldn't all have their own little pens. They'd kind of put all the flocks together in, in one pen with a wall around it, a wall, and then they'd guard it. And you'd think, well, hang on, all the sheep are going to get messed up. How, they're all gonna, how, how are you going to sort the sheep out in the morning? Well, what used to happen was the sheep knew the shepherd's voice. So when a shepherd called his sheep, the sheep that just belonged to that shepherd would just go to that shepherd. And when the other shepherd called out the sheep, the sheep that just belonged to that shepherd, they would all go, and they'd all go back to the shepherd. This is what Jesus means. You, you, you know, I know you by name. I call you when you hear my voice, and I hear your voice. The God of the Bible is a loving, relational God, and he invites you to hear him calling your name today. The amazing news of Easter is that Jesus' resurrection provides the ultimate promise that life has overcome death. And therefore, death is not the end. Hope beyond the despair of the grave is real for us. There is real evidence for the resurrection. There's an empty tomb. There's Jesus appearing to hundreds of people. There's lives being changed today. And that's me. 
There was a moment when Jesus called my name, I heard him, and he changed my life. You see, we see it in this passage here. We see at the end in verse 17, it's Jesus, Mary, Jesus calls her name. And then Jesus has to say, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me because I haven't yet ascended to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It's like as soon as Mary hears her name called out by Jesus, she's clinging to him. Jesus, you're alive. And Jesus says, no, you've got to let me go, Mary. Let me go because I need to ascend to my father and your father. Let me go. It's okay. John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. In my Father's house are many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Call out to him today. Maybe this Easter Sunday is a day for you. You can know Jesus. He knows your name. You reach out to him now. We're going to continue together in worship as we lift up the name of our risen Lord Jesus, who's no longer in a tomb on a hillside in Jerusalem. He's alive forevermore. Let's continue to worship him today.